Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday evening, and our buddy Dan Ruddle is coming to us live from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, because we got an important business to take care of. Yes, we do indeed. Yes, we do indeed, Dan. So where are you staying right now in Pittsburgh? They already got the name of the place wrong twice. <laughs> well, um, a couple weeks ago, I was all the way live from 215, so this week I'm coming to you from the 412. Uh, but um, to answer the question, I am staying at the residence in Pittsburgh, North Shore, Marriott property right across the street from PNC Park. I dare make it the first unofficial sponsor of the Filibuster Freestyle podcast this evening. Oh, I like it. And I will make the Filibuster Freestyle website, <laughs> filibusterfreestyle.com, the second sponsor. And I will make HBO show the night of our third sponsor because we've got a new name for the show, within the show. Uh, I don't really want to call it the morning after on the website. <laughs> okay. So, Because I, I don't know who's going to search that. and Maybe it's a good thing for traffic, but maybe it's not. <laughs> So we're going to call it Taxi Cab Fiasco because um, this all wouldn't have started if Nas didn't steal his father's cab. And, were it uh, not for a real Taxi Cab Fiasco. Correct. And so we're going to call this one Taxi Cab Fiasco. And if you may have noticed on filibusterfreestyle.com, you've got your own little section there. Um, hey, now. For, for these shows, for this season of shows, for the, the, uh, the, night, the night of podcast from yourself and myself. So really quickly... Before we get rolling on the show from last night, episode three, uh, I just want to say, and I said this on my podcast yesterday with Andrew Patterson about the UFC, and, uh, that uh, I'm really proud of the NBA for pulling out of the two seven, 2017 All-Star Game business in Charlotte due to House Bill 2. If you don't know what House Bill 2 is, I'll do everybody a favor. It's a really backwards, bigoted law, and I give props to the NBA for taking it out of the city. Um, I feel bad for the people in Charlotte who wanted to have the All-Star game here. And also, regarded to Charlotte and the Hornets, Hornets owner, NBA legend Michael Jordan, spent $2 million bucks in donations today, both towards the, uh, I want to get this right, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the Institute for Community Police Relations. So basically, simultaneously speaking out against gun violence, uh, against um, minorities by police, and also targeting of police by people who are for lack of a better term, jabronis. So uh, I want to give MJ props on that. What are your thoughts on that, Dan? Were you aware of that? My, my, my props forthcoming as well as I was sitting at uh, Burgatory, um, real name of the restaurant. In Great fact. name. Um, Great name. Yeah, really good name. Um, I saw the headlines going across the ticker tape at the bottom of the ESPN. So, yeah, I was uh, stoked to see Michael Jordan taking, uh, taking it up to, and making it official and actually putting some uh, money where his mouth is. You know, that's, that's, that's good stuff. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm on board with you as far as the All-Star game. You know, I've, I, I know somebody in my personal life, and I, you know, I won't say their name out of respect, who has a transgendered child in okay. North Carolina. And that is a very, uh, that's not, uh, not, not the easiest road to hoe. So um, glad that, you know, someone on the scale of the NBA is actually taking uh, some steps to, to really, you know, use some of their influence to, to, to make a case for the cause. So kudos to them. Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, if you want to be big time, North Carolina, you need to have modern day laws in the books. And that's just yep. the way it is. Um, yeah. And if you're not, like a guy from Raleigh said tonight at the DNC, which I was watching earlier uh, for the mega podcast later this week with Ann Kennedy, um, the bottom line is, you know what? It, it, uh, those kind of tactics 
don't tell people where they can go to the bathroom. They tell investors where to not bring their money. So, bing, bang, boom. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well put. I agree. And I forget that guy's name, but good for him. Out of the state capital of Raleigh. <laughs> yeah, good on him. All right, but here's an outlandish theory of the day, because I've been doing a lot of outlandish theories this week. Um, yeah. Michael Jordan might be setting himself up for a run for governor of North Carolina at some point. Well, why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, he's a former heel. He's uh, owner of... One of the, the premier one, sports one the, franchises the in the premier state. Premier sports franchises in the state, and you know we, we've seen a lot of uh, we've seen a lot of you know, sports icons dip their toes into the uh, into the political arena. Why not Michael Jordan? Why not? Why not? Why couldn't the greatest basketball player of all time serve as a public servant? Absolutely, and, and I mean honestly, we know how competitive he is. If, if he's seeing what former C list celebrity. And current Republican nominee Donald Trump can do. I mean, imagine yeah. what a guy who was actually the most recognizable athlete in the, on the entire planet could do with a little bit of uh, yeah. chutzpah and a little bit of rock and roll. Okay, yeah. a couple more quick things here. I heard a mashup the other day when I was at brunch of the song Rapture by Blondie and the vocal track to Riders on the Storm by the Doors. Not going to lie, made both songs better for me. Pretty baller. Really? Yeah, I, was, I didn't want to like it and I loved it. It was crazy. Yeah, that sounds like the kind of thing that I would not want to like. And <laughs> Speaking of mashups, um, so you got the Green Party, you got the Libertarian Party. I think I've got a new outlandish idea, which is to take the best principles of both, start a new party, and call it uh, the Greenitarian Party. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's great as long as you do it in something that is not the most high stakes election for the highest elected official position in the entire free world. Oh, yeah, we're not going to do that this time around. We need, <laughs> okay. we need time to mobilize. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I I heard somebody say it the other day, and I, so I can't take credit for this, but, you know, they were, someone was railing on and on and on and on and on about the Green Party and wanting to, you know, give their vote to someone in the Green Party. I can't remember the gal's name. Or Jill name Stein, I believe. Yeah. Jill, Jill Stein. Stein. Yep. Yes. And it was just kind of, you know, it's, you know, people get all pissed off about, you know, politics and, you know, the second their elected official takes office, the change doesn't happen that they want. All of a sudden they're a charlatan. They're a, they're right. a nudnik. They, they, they stink. And it's, you know, think of, think of the executive office of president as, you know, moving the Titanic. Everything happens very, very slow. If you can sustain a Green Party movement in, you know, lower levels of government and then get it going, I think you've got a lot more cred and you'll get a lot yeah. more people to take it seriously outside of people who are really kind of rose-colored glasses voters. Oh, opinion. no question. No question about it. And, Sorry, I got a little... No, I like that. And also, if, I mean, you know, when you mention a high-stakes election like that... I mean, Ralph Nader, uh, Ross Perot, a couple of third-party candidates who had major impacts on uh, mm -hmm. either sitting presidents and or the continuation of sitting regimes. And, um, you know, the rest is history, or at least did that, you know, so, there, so let's not do that this time around. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I'm, I, I'm on board with that. I, I you know, I, if social media tells me anything, it's just that, I should really turn it off and you know, maybe turn it back on after the election. Yeah, you know what you should I, do? You should. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying I, I, there's a lot of people that I really like in my personal life that I like a lot more not knowing much about. Yeah, no, like that's actually a really good point, which is a really good way to keep your current friends 
uh, who you've had since childhood usually is to not yeah. not look at them during election cycles, you know, on, on social no social media, um, yeah, and vice versa, you know, you know, you know, not being incendiary yourself, but whatever. That's what why that's why we're doing a podcast about a fake show about the Indeed. real a real the real criminal justice system. So, um, speaking of mashups, we talked about that. But speaking of Rikers Island and Nas and taxicab oh, fiascos gone wrong, we open the show. Nas is in Rikers Island. It just doesn't look good at all. Um, I will say this from the get-go. I think this episode, one, was starting to put a couple of pieces of the, of the puzzle together. And two, I think that next week is going to be riveting just based off of the exposition they had to do this week. What are your thoughts on yep. that? Yeah. No, I think they really kind of turned the heat up on the show a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things coming to that coming out there's a lot of new players and a lot of important players uh movement with all of them in this uh this third episode of the season i thought it was excellent absolutely me too i thought the detective box let's go sequentially here he's all over uh officer robert maldonado who is the white officer the young guy the two rookies the other woman being the rookie puker black lady he's the rookie puker uh, and, and Detective Box is basically telling them, you know, you're a human being. You're a rookie cop. You saw a gruesome crime. You threw up. It humanizes you. Andrea Cornish is the victim. We need to humanize her. And basically he's yep. saying that no jury is going to convict Nas based on what Nas looks like because Nas couldn't look more innocent. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. couldn't look more overwhelmed and innocent in his face. Now, on paper, yep. he looks guilty as sin, but again... This wouldn't be a show if he was if he was guilty of sin, um, right? Okay, we go to John Tortoro, aka John Stone, who's the the lawyer for Nas thus far. Clearly, he's got a terrible rap as a lawyer in terms of results and talent. Uh, yeah, the assistant DA is giving him crap in the courthouse restroom. Um, he's trying to charge Nas's parents seventy five G's flat for the case. Nas's parents have eight grand in the bank. He eventually gets him gets them up to fifty grand. Um, what do you think about that scene? <laughs> it was funny. I wrote, uh, you know, my notes on the episode are Torturo used car salesman slash inferior salesmanship. I mean, that, <laughs> one of the things that I think that really, you know, w- was difficult for me in this episode was just watching him kind of try to sell them on the fact of, you know, Initially saying, what was it? What did he say initially? It was like 150. Well, he said it would be a $150,000 case easy. He'll do it for 75. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself the whole time, like, my God, is anybody, what, how are they not sniffing this out and just kicking him out of the house as the snake oil salesman that he is? It's like the, the guy is coming in, leading with price, talking about how, you know, just you know, putting on his best, you know, excuse the expression, used car salesman outfit yep. and saying, well, it would cost you 150 but I'll do it for 75 but I'll do it for 60 but I'll do it for 55 But here's my final offer, 50 <laughs> <laughs> That's a really like, nice rendition. God. That was great. That was great work oh, there. Hey. Yeah. Thank you. So, okay, so we got Nas's poor parents agreeing to that, but, but not signing the document there. Which will come back to not to haunt any. Well, we'll see how it haunts anybody, but certainly will come yeah. back into the equation. We shift fortuitous back, on their part, it seems, at least at this juncture. At least from this juncture, exactly. We shift back to Riker, where oh yeah, Omar from the Wire, who I believe the name winds up being Freddie. 
Um, Freddy, yep. But Omar from The Wire, who appears to be playing the character of a washed-up boxer now in jail, like a famous boxer. Um, yep. He's got cable TV in his cell. He's got about 25 flip phones in his cell. Um, you know, my one kind of offhanded comment here, because we do see the character Freddy a lot in this episode in bits and pieces, is that they're doing a decent job so far reprising cast members from The Wire. Um, Excellent job of that, For yes. sure, because our, our buddy Bodie's up there as well. Um, he also seems, uh, Reggie, to be getting conjugal visits from the guards themselves. Um, yes. So clearly yes. a man who knows, she's giving him contraband, he's been paying her rent. Um, it seems like this is all going to be very, very relevant, and of course it is. Um, oh, yeah. Because this guy, as we come to learn, he's pretty much running the show inside. Well, not only is he running the show inside, but he's apparently running the show back in the Bronx. Which is really, really interesting, too. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was interesting, and we'll get into that. But So, what are you... Um, okay, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what were you... Did you have any, any, any thoughts on him in the get-go that either changed or didn't change by the end of the hour, or no? Um, no, I think he played out to be pretty much what I thought he was going to be. I mean, they set the stage pretty well for him to be sort of this, you know, respected prison stalwart who nobody's going to mess with and may end up being able to be a real power broker both inside and outside of prison um i I was curious about the and and this is uh uh, you know it it seems as if it, it was a sort of mutual thing between him and the guard but that she's paying him in dope for his let's call them services um But he's also paying her rent, so, I mean, he's clearly got a vast network inside and outside of the the prison system. Yeah, I think he's going to be really interesting to watch over the next few weeks. Um, Really excited about his character getting a little bit more revealed to us uh, in this episode. Um, Nas kind of walks into the new fish, fresh meat situation. It's weird, all the new prisoners are kind of in cots in the middle, which is like super duper dangerous, but... um, Maybe they're overcrowded, and that's the best way to get rid of people is to get rid of the new guys first. Um, yeah. Okay, so we go back to John Stone. He's visiting what, I, what seems to be the, the, the district attorney. Helen, yeah, the DA. Is that her name, Helen? Okay. Her name is Helen, yeah. And they, they, seem to, they seem to have some type of a history, um, maybe just from him being kind of what seems to be kind of like a low-rent uh, precinct crawler, I believe they call him at one point. Um, yeah. And Which I think seems like it's a rung lower than an ambulance chaser in the hierarchy of attorneys. It actually kind of does, and that, we can corroborate that both from the stuff that we already mentioned and from some stuff later on in the show, too. Um, but that being said, she gives him a meaningful piece of advice that I don't think she means to, and she gave him uh, a free piece of advice, which we all thought he needed as well. The first being, she mentions that the victim, Andrea or Andrea, sorry, Cornish, was stabbed 22 times, which is her age. And that's very relevant. And he says as much because he says, not my guy. Like, that's not a crime of passion. That's calculated. And making us go back to last week when we said we may or may not have already met the killer, but this killer knows her, man. Um, And Nas did did not know her. But she also, um, Stone's trying to get the case pled down to manslaughter, DA is like, this is open and shut. And she basically gives him the card of a, of a tailor <laughs> to get a yeah. suit, anything that's not brown. And my, my only thoughts here are that the DA clearly 
incredibly overconfident with this case and with Johnstone trying it. Yeah, I mean, she took a big old heaping dump all over his clothes. I mean, she was not impressed with his clothing. And, you know, in fairness, I'm not, a bit, I'm not very impressed with his clothing either. Correct. Now, I noticed that, so Nas's father is talking with his fellow cab owners. They obviously want the cab back. Um, mm. So they're having a conversation about it. Clearly it's hard for them to make any money at all with their cabin impound, right? So anyway, he walks out of the restaurant or the coffee shop, and somebody's photographing him. And I, they don't let us know who that is, or whether it's a private yeah. investigator or Box himself or somebody. But any thoughts on that picture-taking piece of it? Well, I just think it clearly ties into the investigation and everything going into the case. I don't know that there's... Yeah, you know, again, it's a crime drama, so it could very well have something else playing into it, but I don't take it for anything more than face value right now other than you know, face value being that there's somebody investigating the case and they are seeing what his family is doing in response to his incarceration and pending yeah. trial. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how and who that is if they let us know. Um, mm-hmm. Again, on the show, bounced around a lot in the first half hour. Nas is like kind of like bunk mates with a guy who happens to have not one but two tear tattoos Best on his face eye. Tattoos ever. And oh. he also has a giant like knife slash machete, like Mike Tyson <laughs> style, on the opposite side yeah. of his face. So yeah, the knife. Oof. Something tells me he's he knows what he's doing. And, and Omar again, Freddie looks on from above. Um, you know, and it's it's the dichotomy of that guy talking to Nas, and they go back to Detective Box going through Nas's family's personal effects, little pictures of Nas, the kid. Um, yep. I mean, I really feel like I can't wait for the conflict of interest when that box will eventually probably reach within himself, um, that he's just gone down the wrong the wrong uh, part of the looking, looking glass here. Um, yeah. So, and this is obviously, more of this gets revealed to us as the show goes on, but they, they flash to... Um, this higher-end female lawyer, and she's doing an incredibly eloquent job in front of the press of um, defending her or defending the, the rights of her plaintiff to sue for a botched plastic surgery job and to sue her employer. Um, and my note at the time where it seems like she'll be factoring in, this thing is going to become a circus. And of course, we find out later more about that potential lawyer, but. Um, they really started to give us tidbits from out of nowhere tonight, and then I was really kind of pleasantly pleased that they didn't Game of Thrones us and make us wait like two weeks to find out what that meant. Um, yeah. They got back in it right away. So any thoughts on that scene, or would you rather comment on her later? No, no. I, I, the first thing I said, I have one note, is that the blonde woman from Sex and the City? It kind of looks a little bit like Kim Cattrall, but not really. Oh, that's right. That's her name. I forgot. It could be Kim Cattrall, um, but it, it also could not be. And I didn't look up the IMBD, so I apologize. Yeah, no, no. I, I just, you know, one of the notes I took was that you know, the, the the gal that had the surgery had the surgery as the result of a dog mauling, and kind of in in by contrast to the gal who had her face ripped off by Travis the Chimp in Connecticut. I think she fared pretty well. Correct. Um, <laughs> you know, I think she's, you know, going back to the Wine Wall and Dragons podcast, you know, you and Dan talked about Gilly when she and Sam finally got to, what is that place called? The Guild? Uh, uh, no, the, the uh, Citadel. The Citadel. You know, I, th- I, th- I think she, the, she was, even after the dog mauling, was still on par with pre-Citadel Gilly. Correct. Good call. <laughs> Great yeah. plastic surgeon work there. 
Um, yeah, I agree with I think that. They did okay. Yeah. So again, this lawyer, she'll come into to, to being very soon. We get a nice prison meeting between Nas and his family at Rikers Island. I mean, the Nas guards. Poor mother. I was going to say the guards do heavy search on his mom. I mean, really, almost an offensive. Like I'm not even going to try to call the TSA here, but it's kind of like when when they take you into a separate room and like not a very cool thing. Uh, his poor mother, like you said, what did she do? Um, he gives his parents a lowdown of what's happened that night. Again, Omar is there. He's watching. His kids are visiting. Sorry, Freddie. Um, yep. I'll get that eventually. Um, again, really, unless there's going to be some kind of a double twist uh, involving Nas's character itself, like, they're really painting this thing as, like, Nas needs help on the inside. Nas's parents need help on the outside. Like, this family is absolutely no shot. Uh without the help of power brokers. And that could be an underlining commentary of the entire show when it's all said and done, which is unless some powerful lawyer takes interest in you because of certain reasons external to the case, unless some power broker inside takes you under your wing for whatever reasons because of the case or whatever, you're screwed. And I think that's what they're definitely throwing at us right now. Yeah. I, I guess one of the questions that I have is, is you know, obviously the attorney's got some loaded motivations in terms of, you know, it's a high profile case. It's, you know, he's a, he's of Middle Eastern descent. She stands to gain a lot of notoriety from this. Do you think that, I mean, do you think that Freddie's got any skin in the game other than just being a hardened criminal who sees a guy who he thinks might just, might just see a guy who thinks he's, that's innocent or what, what, I guess the question is, what does Freddie stand to gain from protecting the the kid out of, other than just like, hey, this is, uh, I, I'm doing it because I can. I mean, honestly, I, my answer is I think there's probably going to be some type of skin in the game, and I don't know any idea what it is. Let me actually, I just had something crazy pop into my head, okay? Yeah, go. So remember in the very first, like part of the very first show, Nazir is working at the City College, he's like a tutor for the basketball team guys? Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any because these HBO shows tend to have like no stone left unturned, you know? Yeah. Do you wonder if um, there's a connection between one of the guys that like Nazir is friendly with from the basketball team and Freddie? Like, Freddie's got cell phones in jail. We know this already. He's got like 25 cell phones in his cell. He's got TV. Oh, he's lousy with cell phones. Correct. Yeah. So the point is. Did one of his cousins text him or one of his friends text him and be like, yo, there's no way this kid did this or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I just made that part up. But Freddie has too much connection with the outside world, and it sounds like he runs too much stuff in the boroughs for him not to have some type of an ulterior motive uh, for helping. Yeah. I have no idea what it would yeah. be. Well, I mean, if that's the kind of quid pro quo Nas is working with, then he's getting off light. You know, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. That tutoring really paid off. Glad I called that yeah, guy. You know, big time. Um, it's like all I got to do is teach you math, and your guy will protect me inside. Sign me up. Correct. You know, and I, or I wonder if there's anything to do with that that hearse driver from the first show too. I don't know. You know, um, but we'll see how it shakes up. Yeah. Um, all right. So if we learn, just I want to confirm this because I said that. We Cornish either lived on the Upper East or Upper West Side. It's definitely the Upper West Side, West 87th Street. We learned this from the DA's office. Yep. Um, Omar, the knife-faced guy, and the lady lawyer, sorry, Freddie, 
are all watching the press conference, the newscast of uh, Ooh, members of the, the NYPD talking about Nas being indicted for this murder and being charged with this murder. And as Freddie says to him later, you're famous in here for all the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. And so we learn that Nas is now viewed by the other inmates as a rapist, which does not go very well inside there. Um, he almost gets kind of beaten up already. Uh, Freddy has a guard send him some sneakers for the shower for quote-unquote traction, which probably means yeah. to aid an escape. Um, you know, we have that impending shower scene, never a good sign. The lady lawyer seems to want in. We learn that she does. So pretty big scene all tied to that press conference there. Yeah, and, and one, if I can back up for a second, you, yeah. know, you talk about the shower scene, and he's wearing the sneaks in the shower. Good God, if, is there one lesson that you should learn about going into jail that you should keep your eyes in front of you? Like, you get caught looking at the wrong dude, and you are in for a world of hurt. Just look forward, Nas, and look down. Do not engage. Do not look at other dudes in the shower, even if it's a glancing look. Yeah, My God, no, direct you, eye con- no direct eye contact ever. <laughs> oh. It was... That was a really, I mean, I actually thought something was going to happen to him in that scene. Um, yeah. They did a really nice job cliffhanging that, but to your point, solid advice from Dan Ruddle. That's why he's a pundit in the show, um, yeah. for real. Anyway. If I know nothing, it's how to stay out of trouble in prison. <laughs> That's awesome. So, speaking of taxi cab fiascos, the taxi cab guys are told by a guy in impound they're not going to get their cab until the trial's over, potentially until the civil trial is over, and they could get yeah. sued as part of the civil trial by the city of New York to keep it from going to civil trial and from being liable itself, the city, making the owners liable. What we also learn is that Mr. Khan is advised to file charges against his own son, Nas, for grand theft auto because he did not give permission, which he didn't, for Nas to take the cab, which is crazy. Yeah. Nas's business partners are given a card for a lawyer who would actually help them pursue Grand Theft Auto against Nas. And surprise, surprise, that lawyer is John Stone, <laughs> a.k.a. Yes. John Torturo, a.k.a. lower than an ambulance chaser, to your point earlier. Yeah. A.k.a. owner of a pair of the gnarliest feet I've ever seen, even the in fiction. The gnarliest feet ever, and let's cover that now. John Stone actually goes to a Ugh. is an eczema anonymous support group. <laughs> That's Which exactly what I wrote. Is Eczema Anonymous meeting. Ex- Eczema Anonymous is the fake band name of the week. And, um, man, <laughs> that was just sad. That was like kind of like in Fight Club when, when Bob has, you know, beat B-word, T-words, and, you know, he, he's got the men with cancer thing, and it's really sad. This yeah. is kind of sad like that. Um, Hart goes out to those guys. Um, kind of a, a funny scene in some respects, but, again, his eczema is just... <laughs> The OOC, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's in a bad way. Wow. Um, all right, so Stone does, though, he goes to the crime scene. Um, Andrea Cornish's cat is still there waiting to come inside. Stone feeds it. Um, he definitely takes it to a pound later. Uh, I just feel like Stone, and we'll get into this in a minute, whether he's the lawyer or not, he's going to factor in prevalently. Sometimes with that cat, um, I don't know why I think that cat is going to factor in, but I kind of, how could it not? Why, why, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. And, and that's one thing that I wrote. Well, first of all, the, the cat in general, so we'll, we'll, I'll cover it all in one 
one segment. Poor kitty, I wrote. <laughs> Not a cat guy, but I'm sad. Um, yeah, it, it tugged at the heartstrings there. And then I wrote with question marks behind it, under the door steps open. Or under the step under the steps door open. Do you know what I mean when I say yes, the yes, door? yes, yes? Yeah. So I can't remember, and I'd have to go back and watch the first episode. But was that was that what the, is that the door that she let the cat out in? And is that giving us a clue there that that is a possible point of entry for a an assailant that could have perpetrated the murder other than Nas. Especially if the assailant knew about that entrance. Yeah. You know, and, and was willing to check. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think what we're saying is an open and shut case get uh, opened back up um, in, yep. a, in a lot of ways. And what, what adds a, uh, a layer of, of, I guess, depth to it is that this lady lawyer, whose name I don't, oh, we find out her name's Allison Crow. She shows up to Nas's family's house and tells them, one, this is not going to cost one fifty. This would probably cost a quarter of a million. Two, yep. anybody who would say it's going to cost you a hundred thousand less than it would, and then charge you a hundred thousand less than that, is not worth the paper they're printed on. Three, I'm rich and I know what I'm doing in terms of law. Four, I'm doing this thing for the price of on the house pro bono. So um, Allison Crow comes out of nowhere and becomes Nas's lawyer. Pretty darn quickly, would you say? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, and you see the mother starting to tear up and thanking her and everything, and I'm just sort of, you know, she she said what I think any rational person's thinking all along is: this guy comes to you, he's a mess, he's got, he's wearing weird Jesus sandals, he's got, <laughs> he's scratching his feet in the back of his neck with a chopstick obsessively, and. He's the guy that you choose as your lawyer, and then to boot, and on top of all that, he's got the nerve to come into your house and demand that you sign a retainer of fifty thousand bucks. Yep. You know, get out of here. Yeah. I think that she's, you know, she comes in and she presents that air of confidence, and and I think that that's that's the direction there. And yeah. I wrote down here that, you know, when you know, fast forwarding a little bit. You know, Stone when when Nas tells him he takes the he takes it pretty well, but then I wrote, oh, unless the dad's partners decide to use that card and sue him, and he takes the case. You know, that's the only. But see, here's what I think, right? All he wants to do is settle cases, etc. Right? Get people paid, get people their stuff, whatever. Like, I can see him becoming some type of Johnny Cochran. Robert Shapiro, like, not quite his dreamy dream team. Like, he's got some pertinent information that I think they're going to be able to use. Um, and I think he's just the kind of low-rent lawyer that would use even, like, consequential involvement in the case to further his career. So he may wind up dropping said, you know, I don't, I think that's a wrinkle that's, he's going to have some information because he started out on night one of the case, the night of, hence the show. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. But I do think it'll be funny if he wants up suing Nas <laughs> on behalf yeah. of his dad's cat fellow cab owners. Yeah, um, that's going to be a big bummer. By the way, talk about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, you're, you're being tried for first-degree murder. Oh, and Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to see how the first one goes first. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot, Pops. 
<laughs> Good news is you're you're innocent of first degree murder. Bad news is you're guilty of grand theft auto. Boom, double boom. And John Stone's <laughs> the one who put you there. Not Detective yeah. Box. Irony. Yeah. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on Alison Crow taking the case pro bono and saying it reminds her of why she became a lawyer in the first place? Clearly she's yes, I think most high profile lawyers do take pro bono work. You've got to think she's doing this because of the ramifications of, you know, religion, race. Somebody in the show said sex, drugs, and rock and roll type of thing. Like, um, it's going to be high profile for her, don't you think? Well, I think, yeah, I think that's exactly what it's, what's in it for her. It's high profile for her firm. She probably makes a fortune defending people who are really, really wealthy. And, and terrible people, probably. You know, and terrible people. And this is a fantastic opportunity for career advancement. Correct. Now, would you say that Nas, Nas gets the news from his dad that Alison Crow's his new lawyer, Stone is out, Stone comes to visit Nas that day, Nas has to break it to him that he lost the case. Um, yeah. Man, pathetic, pathetic scene in all, in all directions. In all yeah. directions. Yeah. Um, what did you make about, so Nas went up to see Freddie. Were you worried about Nas at all going to see Freddie or not at all? Concern, I would say. Yeah, when he um, made him feel the veil, sorry, the veal, the veal, the raw yeah, veal. That was very I was odd. A little worried about what the, the intimation might be there, but um, all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's. I think that you got the impression there, or that you got the impression from this episode that you know it, it might be his altruism might be loaded in a manner of speaking, but I don't think that Freddie, at least initially, is out to hurt him. Correct. Correct. Um, I totally agree. Some of my notes from this these couple scenes is, obviously, Freddie seems to have a decent life in jail, and we kind of find out why. He kind of says, you know, the guards and the prisoners are in here are all basically from the same part of the city. Um, <laughs> you know, family is family. Pre-existing relationships are ruling the day. Some people go the legit route and some go the complete criminal route but in there it's kind of like a society within a society based off of yep. the neighborhoods they come from interesting insight he gives him obviously the lowdown on the charges that Nas is accused with do not play well in the prison judicial system and that basically um, he's already been tried and convicted in the eyes of his fellow Rikers Island roommates um, and basically he offers his protection and Nas kind of Gets advice from the knife-faced roommate of his. Uh, you might want to take that or you're as good as dead. And then, of course, yeah. the, sh the show ends. Um, well, with his bed on with fire. The, uh, he goes to the bathroom, which I was worried for him again. And then he comes back and they've lit his bed on fire and everybody's going crazy. And one guy gives him kind of like the knife slit, you know, the pirate thing across the neck thing. Which, yep. a lot of way to go to really make Nas be like, I guess I should accept Reggie's, or, sorry, Freddie's protection. <laughs> But, um, okay, hyperbole being what it is, I would say Nas better be sold on protection by this point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he should not view that as an isolated incident. What are the chances? And more an indication of what's to come if he decides to reject Freddie's protection. Correct. I don't think that's a guy you want to reject more than once. Um, and then, of course, the poor kitten gets sent to the, the Rikers Island of, 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 of pets, the New York City kennel yeah. system. Um, and and the one the reason that I think that cat's going to factor in is that Stone says 
how long do you give the in you know the impounded pets until you you know give them a shot or whatever the gas mask whatever you know joking around. The dude says ten days, and what I think is yep. within the next two episodes he's going back to get that cat for some reason or another. Yeah, and somehow it's and I agree with you. Somehow it's going to play an integral part in you know. I mean, I don't, I don't think that it's going to have any physical evidence on it necessarily. What do you think about think what do you gonna, think about this though? Because I just literally just you 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 read my mind in terms of my question. Okay. I don't think the cat will have any physical evidence from the crime, but I wonder if anybody has an injury from the cat's claws, and I wonder if they check the DNA of the cat. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about forensics. I'm just a guy on a podcast, but... That cat's got to carry some evidence, and I just oh, can't see it. basically makes you a forensics expert. <laughs> I host my own podcast. I know what I'm talking about in forensics. Yeah. I went to Trump University, gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> the Trump University of forensics, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, if they found any kind of, you know, uh, uh, um tissue sample or something in its claws or something you know maybe you could do that i mean i i i i think that's a little bit far-fetched to be honest but i think that perhaps the recollection of the cat and her letting the cat out is somehow going to jog a memory or something in him yeah i think that's i think that i think what you're going to see happen moving forward is you know you hear him saying to his parents when they come to visit him i don't remember Walking to the kitchen, True. I don't remember what happened, but I know that I don't remember stabbing her, and that True. that's the kind of thing you would remember. I think that you're going to see as the show evolves more and more, you're going to see some things where he starts to, you know, gain some lucidity back and gain some yep. insight as to what happened in little snippets. Well, of, think of, yeah, man, you're right. I mean, think about how many times we've all had those nights in college or whenever where. We don't remember much from the night before, and then someone says, like, oh, you did this and that, and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I did. Oh, and then, totally oh, yeah, then this happened, didn't that. it? And then you did this. and then So you're right. I think that there might be a needle in the haystack there that starts to unravel his subconscious memory of what, what the hell went down. I still yep. think it's really interesting that whoever it was probably either saw him passed out in the kitchen or literally was like, hey, buddy, go get a drink. <laughs> you know, like, what's... Yeah. <laughs> Go get a drink. You I'll look dehydrated. I'll go handle, downstairs. <laughs> I'll handle this grisly murder. You go get yourself something to drink. Yeah, I totally understand if you don't want to participate, but you just got to give, give me five minutes. You know, anyway. Uh-huh. Um, all right, any thoughts for next week? Any outlandish claims? It looks like um, I think a bunch of stuff about to go down, but do you have any thoughts or predictions? Well, I didn't see any of the previews from next week, so I don't know that I They didn't any. give us a ton of those, by the way, but anyway. Yeah, no, right. I, I, but like I said, I think that you're going to continue to see, um, I, I think that at some point you're, we're going to start to see the story evolve and come back to him a little bit. Um, I, I think we'll see a little bit of, the, there, there are a lot of things that I have, I think have potential to come back into play. Yeah. Like we discussed on previous podcasts, I think we have the potential for the cat, the 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 Hearst driver. I think we have potential for the Bodie's buddy on the street. I think we've got potential for, you know, the cat being let out, having something to, yep. to bear some sort of importance going down the line the, here. The stepfather. Oh yeah, dude. 
Yeah, the, I mean the twenty-two times stabbing her, knowing how old that, she is. It can't be coincidental. I I think that you know when we're looking at the what the odds are of who the, our murderer is, his odds just went way up. Yeah, I agree with that. Hundred percent went with that. Um, nice. All right, man. Listen, let's. Why don't you stick around for a couple minutes? We'll catch up. But thank you Good for deal. coming to us live from Pittsburgh tonight to do episode oh, three of uh, the the Night of podcast from the filibuster freestyle, known as Taxi Cab Fiasco, colloquially known as the Morning After. And uh, Dan, we'll catch you next week for episode four. Thanks for being on tonight, buddy. Oh, anytime. Look forward to it next week. No doubt. Here comes that outro. Indeed. Did you go to Pramonti Brothers? Did you go to Permonti Brothers? No, I got, um, I got, uh, Burgatory. Oh, right, right, right. Unofficial well, sponsor, Burgatory, baby. Yeah, I'll probably get it tomorrow or the next day. I'm here till Thursday, so I've got plenty of time. <laughs>